Well, thank you, everybody, and good morning. Man, it's so great to be here, and uh, let's give them a round of applause, because that was really awesome. Man, that was really, really wonderful. Um, we are so grateful to finally be here. Uh, we are basically settled, um, still getting settled in the office. I was here this week and unpacking boxes and, and everything like that. And uh, got to get some office furniture uh, now. That's kind of the big, big test. But when I do, um, come in anytime. I'll always have coffee ready, and uh, we'll sit and talk and stuff. Or if you want to go out somewhere, we can do that as well. Um, but man, we're so glad to finally be here. Stephanie, the kids will be here at the second service. Um, but I so appreciate um, the leadership of the church, uh, not just the search team and everything they did. I'm so grateful for them and just bringing us to this point, um, but also, you know, the deacons, the leadership team, um, our finance team, the, the personnel committee, all of these teams um, that play a role in leading this church so well. And I appreciate Nick and Stephanie and Sue um, and all of them, and they've had to do a lot. Uh, it's been a crazy couple years, right? You, you had COVID onto that. You don't have a pastor. Um, you have this John guy as an interim worship, right? I mean, you have a lot to deal with, right? You know what I'm saying? No, we love John. We're, I don't even know where John went. He left. Um, but anyways, uh, they've done so well in leading, and I so appreciate each one of them. Uh, but I'm coming on a busy Sunday. We've got a lot going on today, um, so let's get to it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. We are beginning this series called Live Light, and we're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians and uh, just kind of looking at um, some of the major themes and sections of this book. And I want to kind of start at Ephesians 5.8 because this is almost like a summary statement that you could just say this describes the entire book of Ephesians. But there are two things, as you're turning there, there are two things you need to know about me. Number one is I hate, absolutely despise mice. Um, if, if you're with me, say amen. I don't know if you are. Yeah. Mice, rats, and, and you think, I'm joking. No, I am convinced that they are demonic, right? Um, I was preaching at children's camp one time, and we were in this metal building, and I'm not kidding you, it was mid-sermon, and I look up, and there's like these pipes running along the edge of the building, and there was a mouse I think maybe a rat just walking across that pipe, and it was coming towards me. And of course, this is children's camp, so if I point this out, it's going to be mad chaos. And so I'm convinced that thing was not sent by the Holy Spirit, but sent by some kind of demonic force, and so I didn't say anything. Um, But so that's number one. I hate mice. Um, You'll hear some mice stories in the coming years. But number two... I worked at a retirement facility, really two retirement facilities while I was in college at University of Central Oklahoma in Edmond. And one of the ones that I worked at was a, a place called Town Village. You can see a picture here on the screen. This is Town Village. I don't think it's called that anymore. It's on May in between Memorial and 122nd. And I was the 3 to 11 shift at the front desk. And so my job was basically to answer phones, do kind of in-office kind of stuff, help the administration and everything, and um, that's all I was to do, really, until all the employees, after dinner time, they left for the day, leaving just me from about 7 to 11 p.m., and I was kind of like the security guard, and so I would go around checking doors, making sure everything was good, and if a resident fell or something like that, they're calling me to get help and all of that, and so that's kind of what my job was, and there was one lady, her name was Donna, and she would come to the desk every day to get her mail, 
And I got to know her really, really well, and she's a sweet, lovely lady. And I also gathered that she loved to talk and that she was lonely. Um, you know, her husband had passed away. Her kids sometimes came and visited with her and stuff. And so I got to talking to her over the course of many months, you know, getting to know her. And I said, hey, you know, as I'm going about my rounds, checking doors later tonight, I said, would you ever want me to just come in and visit? You know, just sit down and talk and and whatnot. You share more stories. And she said, yeah, I would love that. You know, that'd be great. And so that began this... um, kind of this new friendship, I guess you could say. And so uh, maybe a couple times a week on my rounds, I would stop in at Donna's um, apartment 104 and would go in there and I would sit on this love seat, this little couch on one side of the room. And then on the other side of the living room, she would sit in this chair and she would mostly do 90% of the talking. I would just listen and and she loved it. and, And that's what it was. Well, this went on for weeks, went on for weeks until one day, I came in for work, and I'm going to the front desk, and I notice the exterminator is there. And he usually comes once a month, so this wasn't a surprise, but this was not the day that he normally came. And so I said, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, I, I forget his name, but I knew the guy. And I said, hey, you know, what's going on? You know, why are you here today? And he said, man, you wouldn't believe it. We found an infestation of mice in a residence room. And of course, I'm going worst case scenario. That means if there's an infestation in one room, you know there's an infestation in a lot of other rooms, right? And this is like a three-story building, a lot of rooms. And so we're sitting there talking, oh, that's terrible. And he's kind of telling me the story. And then I went and said, wait a second. This feeling like this warm, slimy, nasty blanket just came over me. I said, what room are we talking about? Room 104, Donna's room. No joke. There was an infestation of mice in Donna's room. Here's the thing. Week after week, I sat on that couch. I went into that room. Our cleaning person went into that room every week. And we had not a clue that there were mice in that apartment. And there was dozens upon dozens upon dozens living in there. He told me the whole story. They were living behind the refrigerator. They were living behind the dishwasher. They were up in the cabinets. And he's just telling me this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I couldn't believe it. That hidden beneath the surface was this nasty infestation. But then I said, okay, how did they get into the room? How did they get into the room? Like, how did this even begin? He said, yeah, we we discovered the source was the couch. The used couch that her family had bought and brought into the room. The very couch that I sat on night after night for week after week had a mouse house living in it. I had not a clue, and it still to this day makes me just not feel very, very well. Um, But I had not a clue of this darkness, of this impurity, of this infestation lurking right beneath the surface. I mean, for week after week, oblivious to everything that was simply right there within that room. And listen, we are in some really weird times. I mean, it's been a couple weeks since I preached Um, at our last church, and just with the moving and everything, but it feels like it's been 10 years with everything that's happened, just in a matter of a couple weeks. We're in with some really weird times, and we're in some really dark times, but in the midst of such times, we can become more and more clever at deflection. 
and at putting on a perception. And we do this in countless ways. Whether it be on social media, for those of you who are, whether it be in the office, at work, whether it be with friends or at church or in the neighborhood, we make people believe, we make even ourselves believe that everything is as it should be in our own personal lives. Other people have issues, other people have sins they're dealing with, other people have an infestation of of idolatry and impurity, but not me. Everything is all in order and good and right with us. But in reality, if we're being honest, what's becoming more and more true for many of us, especially in our culture, is that within us, hidden from the world, lurking beneath the surface, is an infestation. An infestation of impurity, of idolatry, of sin, of darkness. And I'm convinced that before we can go forward, Before God can do anything in and through, generally speaking, in the church and our culture, and specifically First Baptist Enid, we had better make sure that our disposition is right. That the infestation and its source are or have been dealt with. Because, as Jesus said, apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter what we do or what we try or what we think we can do. Apart from Jesus, we can do absolutely nothing. And as Moses said, listen, if the Lord is not going with us, we don't want to go forward. It all hinges upon and in the Lord. So the infestation and its source must be dealt with or things will only get more and more weird and more and more dark. Which is why we're kicking off this series, Live Light. And we're going to walk through these themes and sections within this book, and we're going to look at all these items like our identity in Christ. Which, by the way, as you walk through this book, anytime you see in Christ or in him, underline it, circle it, it's massive, it's huge. We're going to look at items like our identity in Christ and the implications of that new identity and how those implications are to be lived out on a practical level in a dark world. But for this morning, to just kind of kickstart this series, I want to park on this verse that comes towards the latter half of this letter, and I want to kind of slow this verse down because, again, it's a verse that captures the overarching theme of Ephesians very succinctly and perfectly. So look at Ephesians 5.8. You'll see the words on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Paul writes, you, he's addressing believers, those in Christ, you were... Once, darkness. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Again, if you, if you can and you, you will, just underline, circle that in the Lord. It's, it's massive, it's huge, it pops up a lot in this book. You were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. That's all I want to look at today. You were once darkness, but now you were light. Again, this is a statement that is true for any believer, any follower of Jesus. And why is that? What changed from the once to now? What changed from then to now? What changed? Location. You were once outside the Lord. You once were outside the Lord, thus you were darkness. But now that you are in the Lord, you are light. See, when it comes to your location in or outside Jesus, your location determines your identification. 
And here's the thing. When you enter into Christ, a radical transformation happens as a result of you're now being found in the Lord as opposed to being found outside the Lord. You go from non-child status to child status. You go from death into life, from darkness into light. Everything changes. Outside of the Lord, you were darkness. This is who you were. It was your identity. But now in the Lord, you are light. You have life now. You're a child. This is now who you are. It's your new identity. Thus, the implications of this identity change is that you are no longer to live as children of the dark. In other words, when people evaluate believers and their lives and what they watch and how they spend their time and how they spend their resources and how they speak and how they treat people, it should look radically different than the world. Their families should look different. Their bank accounts should look different. Their time usage should look different. You are now, as Paul's saying, is to live as children, not of the dark anymore, but of the light. And we'll look more at that in this series, but this one verse, Paul generally captures our identity in Christ and the implications of that new identity and how that is to be lived out in a dark world. But what explicitly, if we can peel this back a little bit more, what exactly is Paul saying? And this is crucial to know. Because what Paul is saying is radically countercultural today, just as it was in Paul's day in Ephesus, as we'll see, and just as it was in Jesus' day when Jesus revealed and taught this truth. Let me explain it this way. When it comes to humanity, all of us, every single one of us, doesn't matter our age, what our address is, what your occupation is, doesn't matter the numbers on your bank statements, how accomplished and decorated you are in life or community or family, what you're involved with, none of that changes the fact that there is a problem with us. Really, there is a problem within each one of us. See, the culture says, and I've heard many Christians say too, that deep down inside of us, we are good people. We're good people. So you do, do, you, do you. You live your truth. But God comes onto the scene and declares and reveals that, no, no, deep down inside, you're not a good person. For all have sinned. Scripture says. And listen to what Jesus said in this brilliant argument of his. In the midst of this argument, he says, it's what's coming out of you. That's what's defiling you. See, it's not so much about what you do than it is about who you are. It doesn't matter how clean the apartment appears. Inside, underneath the surface, there's an infestation. The who you are is consumed with an infestation of darkness. It's your identity and all that impurity and idolatry and filth and darkness, all that sin then flows out of you or expresses itself through words and actions and behavior. You live as children of the dark. And that darkness, who we are, is what separates us from God. We once were alienated from him in our darkness. Picture it like this. You see this girl here on the screen who's completely covered in mud. Um, when I was younger, 
about Noah's age, about six, seven years old, um, I had a, a neighborhood friend whose mom was digging this big hole in their garden. I don't know what she was doing with it, but she had this massive hole in their garden. So it was just this dirt hole. And one day we were out there, it was the middle of the summer, and she decided to take a hose and fill this with water so that we could jump in and swim around this mud pool. And this is what we did. And we came out of that mud pool looking like this, right? And some of you might have done this as you were children, or maybe in your older years, maybe you did this. I don't know. Um, but imagine for a moment that this is what you look like. This is who you are. You're, you're covered in mud, and you go home to your house. And maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your spouse if you're older, right, and you look like this. And you go to give them a hug. What are they going to do? You go to draw near to them. What are they going to do? Get away from me, Right? Stephanie said she'll embrace him in a hug, right? Yeah. They're going to say, get away from me. They're going to push you away. You cannot come near until what? Until you embrace and enter into the shower. Now, for many of you, you're saying, no, no, you spray them with a water hose. But for the sake of the illustration, just humor me, right? Because in the shower, you're washed clean from your filth. This, in a way, is how it is with God. This picture, this is who we are in our sin. Every one of us. Not, oh, it's them across the aisle. That, that's it. No, no, no. Every one of us. We're filthy. We're dirty. We're defined by idolatry and rebellion and impurity and darkness. We're dead in our trespasses, and there's nothing you and I can do about it. And so what God says is, stay back. You can't draw near Why? Because God is perfectly and completely and holy, pure. He's holy and righteous. There is no darkness in him. So God says, stay back, you can't come near. But, but God, rich in mercy, rich in love and grace, offers us a solution, a way in which we are able to become pure and thus a way to draw near to him. The solution To how can I escape my sin? How can I escape that filth, my idolatry, my impurity, my darkness? How can I be saved from this infestation? The answer is, and always is, Jesus. God says, stay back unless you embrace Jesus and him alone. There's only one name given to us under heaven by which we must be saved. Unless you embrace Jesus and enter into Jesus. Why? Because in Jesus, you're washed clean from your filth. Only in Jesus do you receive the blood of Jesus that takes away your sin like water in a shower that takes away dirt. Listen to what Paul wrote earlier on in Ephesians 2.13. He says, in Christ, Jesus, there it is again, in. When it comes to being in or outside Christ, your location determines identification. In Christ Jesus, you who once were what? Far off. Once you were kept at a distance, you now have been what? Brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Listen to what John writes in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, then the what? Then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Only in Jesus do you receive the blood of Jesus that takes away your sin like water in a shower that takes away dirt. Outside of Christ, you're the rebel. You're the sinner. You're not good inside. You belong to darkness. It's who you are. 
But in Christ, you're a child, forgiven. You belong to the light. Think of it like this. We remember the Passover. The Passover goes all the way back to when the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians, right, for like 400 years. And God uses Moses and Aaron and brings about these plagues. Eventually he has to use 10 plagues before finally Pharaoh says, okay, go, just leave, get out. And of course, even then he would change his mind. But the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, was what? God instructs the Israelites to take this lamb, to sacrifice it, and put its blood on their doorpost. And then what? And then to enter into that house. Location determined identification. Because those in the house with the blood on it were those who were marked. So when the angel of death came, what? They would, the angel would pass over that house. Thus they were delivered. Those in Jesus are like those located in the houses with the blood on it. See, God sent Jesus to become one of us. To take on the human nature. So as not to celebrate or enable the human nature, but to crucify the human nature. To conquer and take victory over the who we are. So as to offer us in him a new identity, a new nature. And Paul will talk about that in Ephesians. A new life in him. So as to invite us into the house with the blood on it, thereby delivering us from the darkness that enslaves us and from the wrath that is coming and bringing us into the light. See, Jesus is the exterminator. I take you back to Town Village, and I'm talking to the exterminator, and I'm asking him, what are you going to do? Because I'm never going back into that room until you do something about it, right? What are you going to do with this infestation of mice? He said, well, the first thing, and we already did it, but the first thing we had to do was get rid of the source. We went in, we got the couch, and we removed it. And now we're cleaning up everything else. Jesus is the exterminator who comes in and gets rid of the source, the sin, and thereby cleansing us of all of our sins to where we can then say, man, we were once that, but now we are this in the Lord. But it's up to you. God has given you the way, the truth, and the life. He's offered you the blood of his Son, It's up to you and me whether or not we will leave the darkness and enter the light. Whether or not we will allow him to enter the apartment to deal with the source of our infestation. Whether or not we will embrace him and believe in him, thereby becoming children of God. So I'll conclude with taking you to the year 1898. And I want to take you to this little church. This little church is located in the Philippines in a place called Balor. And it's famous for the siege of Balor, which happened in 1898 during the Spanish-American War and the Philippine Revolution. So during this time, the Spaniards were in the Philippines ruling over the Filipinos. And so finally they said, we give up. We, We hate this. We don't want to do this anymore. So the revolution consisted of Filipino freedom fighters revolting against Spanish colonial rule. 
And the siege of Balor began in late June of 1898 when 800 Filipino insurgents descended on the town of Balor, which was at that time just occupied by only 57 Spaniard or Spanish infantrymen. So 800 Filipinos descended upon this town, and there's only 57 Spaniards. So faced with this massive amount of numbers coming at them, the 57 Spaniards took refuge inside this stone church, which looks a little different today. And the Filipino forces promptly, they just laid siege to the building. They surrounded it. They started shooting at it and doing all sorts of things to it. But the Spanish battalion stubbornly refused to lay down its arms. And over time, they became racked with disease and starvation inside this church. The troops would hold out in this fort until well after the official end of the Spanish-Philippine hostiles or hostilities in December 1898. And during this time, the Filipinos repeatedly, so those surrounding the, the church, repeatedly tried to convince the men inside that the war was over. They tried to do this in many different ways. They did it by sending them newspapers and other messages. But the Spanish dismissed these attempts as lies, as a trick. The turning point in the standoff came when a Spanish officer noticed the wedding announcement of someone he knew in a newspaper that was sent by the Filipinos. Finally convinced of the document's authenticity, the surviving Spaniards finally surrendered on June 2nd, 1899, nearly six months after the war had ended. And so why do I bring that up? Because that is the picture of many of us. Sitting in that stone church, just holding on for dear life, even though the war is over. Refusing to surrender. Refusing to come out of the dark and into the light, as Jesus would say, out of fear that our sins might be exposed. So, we continue to make the outside look clean, the apartment, the couch, the outside of the cup. But inside, there's an infestation. And Jesus is declaring to us, he's trying to get our attention, saying, the war is over. It's finished. Jesus has victory over your sin and death. He sent his message. Listen to his word. The war is over, so quit fighting. Quit holding on to your sin. Quit hiding your infestation. Quit deflecting. Quit putting on a false perception. Quit holding on to an identity defined as darkness. And instead, embrace and believe in Jesus. Because for those who receive him, he will give them the right to become children of God. So as Jesus said, simply deny yourself. Pick up your cross and come follow him. Leave the darkness, come into the light. For as the Passover narrative warns us, judgment is coming. And only those with the blood of Jesus on them will God pass over, will God save from death. And until we embrace Jesus and allow Jesus in our lives, until we enter into the Lord, we cannot approach God. We cannot be a child of the light. We cannot escape our darkness. 
So what I want us to do right now, today is the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to invite John, the praise team down, some of the deacons I think are going to come down just to be ready. And during this time of invitation, I want us to get our hearts and our minds right before the Lord. As, as Paul would say, don't partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And for some of us, we are in Christ. We've been washed clean, set free. And we'll look at this even more so in this series. But we're returning back to our filth. We're returning back to our idols. And so before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we've got to get our hearts and our minds right. Some of us have idols we need to lay aside. Some of us have sins we need to confess. Some of us, we, we, the way we've been spending our time and our resources and our money, the way we've been speaking, if, we, if, if God were to come and evaluate our lives, there'd be no difference from us than the unbeliever next door. That's a problem. And so what we've got to do right now, before we can do anything going forward, is we've got to get our hearts and our minds right before the Lord. But that only happens by coming and surrendering everything at the feet of the cross. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, they're, they're going to lead us in a song, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us, but spend this time coming before the Lord, you and Him, and getting right before Him. Getting right before Him. These steps are open if you want to come during this time, if you just want to pray right there, if you just want to sing, but, but get your heart right before Him. Father, we just come to You Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for Jesus, his life, his death, his body given for us, his blood poured out for us. I thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he who knew us and became our sin. Father, by this we know what love is, that he laid down his life for us. Lord, we thank you that in Christ we have a new identity. We once were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. But Lord, help us to live as children of the light and no longer as children of the dark. And for some of us, Lord, we've been returning back to the old ways. We've been living like the culture, speaking like the culture watching what the culture watches, spending our time and our resources as the culture does. Lord, help us to live no longer as the world does, but help us to live as children of the light. So Lord, before we partake of these elements, remembering your body given for us, your blood poured out for us, help us to get our hearts and our minds right. And if there's somebody in this room who is outside of Christ, may today be the day of their salvation. May they believe in Christ. May they deny themselves, pick up their cross, and come follow Jesus. I'm going to ask that you guys stand with us as they lead us in this time of invitation. I'll be standing down here. You guys come forward, but let's stand during this time.